to the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule. And today's edition of the show is going to be a slightly different affair to usual. Now, we haven't ever actually left dry land on the Reset Rebel, um, so I'm very, very excited to be finally taking you out onto um, the Balearic waters. And we've got a wonderful captain. Uh, Good morning. Hello, good morning, Joe. It is, of course, our previous podcast guest, Mr. Simon Reid. Indeed. Good morning, everyone. How are you? Good, good. Well, it's been uh, quite a different experience since I last saw you. It's uh, been a crazy, crazy few months, but we don't want to focus on that this morning. We want to talk about what are we going to be doing on this uh, on this wonderful show today? So some of you may realise or know that, um, that Joe, uh, some years ago, did a around the island walk with Toby uh, of Walking Ibiza, which took them 12 days of camping and carrying a lot of gear with them. But today we're going to do the same trip, but on the water, and it won't take 12 days. Thank God for that. And we won't be carrying 15 kilos of clothes and uh, food and water. And I think I had a laptop and a podcast recorder equipment. So, um, yeah, I had quite a heavy, heavy load on my back. No, no, everything's going to be carried for you today. All you have to do is to put your sunshades on and uh, put your feet up. I I think even (laughs) I can manage that, Simon. (laughs) Good, good. But first... We have to do a safety briefing. Oh, my God. That's like music to my ears. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me before, Captain. <laughs> OK, well, it's nice and simple, but, uh, of course, things can go wrong on the water. So um, we'll have a little very, very quick uh, run around the boat. In the front locker there underneath that seat is the anchor and some spare ropes. In that grey bag there are life jackets and the pyrotechnics. <laughs> we've, got the, <laughs> we've, got, we've got flares in there which are very easy to use. You unscrew them, screw the handle on, pull the pin and wave it at people and hopefully they'll come and rescue you. Like a, like a sparkler. Just like a sparkler but a lot brighter. <laughs> a lot smokier too. <laughs> what time do you sort of think we're going to be doing sunset tonight? Uh, it all depends how long it takes us to get round and how many stops you want to do. Just launch the boat uh, in the Bay of Talamanca at a nice little place called Sapunta. Somebody might, some people might know it for the famous fish shack just over there. Oh my God, I just went up there to park my car and it says, there's a big sign that says to be continued. Yes, yes. Well, they took it down and they haven't put it back this year because, of, because of the COVID thing. Um, so we'll be heading out of um, Talamanca Bay, um, skirting the, the actual harbour of Ibiza town itself and heading clockwise around the island as you would have done when you walked. Same direction as you walked. And there won't be any hills? Not too many. Though waves could be described as hills if they get too many and little, lots of little hills which can shake your teeth sometimes. But let's hope it's going to be nice and soft and flat today. Nice. It's looking like the perfect weather, actually. There's a few clouds overhead, so it's not going to be roasting, steaming, burning sunshine all day long by the looks of it. It's kind of the perfect, slightly cloudy, slightly misty, beautiful morning. I just watched the sunrise come up on the drive over here from uh, the north of the island. And, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, it's going to be great fun. I've done this quite a few times now. Um, it's going to take all day to do this, even though the boat's a fast <laughs> little thing. We're going to be obviously stopping at different bays on the way around and points of interest. And it's a journey of 
depending on whether we take in the out, outer island, uh, Bedra and so on, it'll be between 80 and 100 miles today we'll do. Nautical miles. <laughs> Wowzers. What's the difference between a nautical mile and a normal mile? Just a little bit. <laughs> that was very scientific. Thank you so much, Simon. I'm keeping it simple. <laughs> <laughs> Just a little smidgen. So um, we're going to do 80 to 100 miles. I mean, the round the island when you're walking, it was, I think, 252 kilometres. That's right, yeah. Yeah, it's about 250-something, yeah. To do it in a boat. I mean, I've definitely done large stretches of the boat, either on a paddleboard or on a kayak or on a on a sailing boat but um it's kind of going to be a bit of a case of like hang on to the old hat today we've both got our caps on um <laughs> i think it's going to be quite quite um yeah quite a hair raising experience indeed sometimes your cap does blow off so just let me know if it does and we'll double back for it so where's the first stop where are you taking me well we're going to be heading um round from ibiza town itself uh going uh clockwise around the island so we'll be going past salinas uh, we'll be going along the beach itself and then curving round to the five MFs. Anyone who's done any walking with Walking Ibiza may have come across the five MFs. I'll leave it to your imagination what those five, why those five hills are called uh, the five MFs. And then uh, past the airport, uh, creeping on up the coast there, past Sacaleta, heading on our way to Esvedra and, um, of course, um, Atlantis. Amazing. Let's go. Okay then, let's get the engine started and uh, get the boat in gear. yacht you mean that really big super yacht with loads of really really rich people on board um i think it said envy but it's got a french flag so maybe envy means something else in french they should surely aren't being that boastful about their boat <laughs> oh, seriously who calls their super yacht envy that is quite unbelievable <laughs> okay so we're coming well we're coming into play at bus now this is play at so different from the sea it's cool it is yeah very very different indeed a nice perspective of course a lot quieter this year <laughs> a, a lot lot quieter this year how are you feeling about the lack of tourists as an Ibiza resident I have to say being a little bit selfish about it I've really enjoyed uh, this quiet year um, it's been remarkable uh, reminds me a lot of uh, Ibiza in the 70s Yes, yeah. I, uh, well, I wasn't here in the 70s because I wasn't born until 77. I don't know why I'm agreeing with you, but I can imagine that it's got that kind of real sleepy feeling that it just has in the wintertime, which is obviously in the middle of summer to get to appreciate 
the good weather with a lot less people is, yeah, it's pretty special. Well, wait till we uh, go past San Antonio and all the town beaches are com- well, almost empty. I think this is literally the first time I've gone past uh, Playa del Bosso when there's literally almost nobody. Uh, we haven't actually gone past the main stretch of it yet. We're just coming around the corner from the old town into that first little bay where all the boats are and the little ferry goes off to Formentera. Uh, but it does look like an absolute ghost town this morning. We've seen a few fishermen though. Yeah, a few people fishing out, of course. It's Sunday, so the locals have all got their day off. But when it comes to uh, the holidaymakers, there just, uh, yeah, just aren't any at all. Might be a bit early for them, of course, because they could have been clubbing last night. Oh, hang on, all the clubs are closed. (laughs) Perhaps not. seeing a plane taking off so we're right uh, in the flight path of the airport but over here in Blad and Bossa with all these apartments and hotels now um, of course um, I can remember when there was nothing here it was just uh, just empty farmland wasteland and of course there was the very very famous um, Abel Matutis hotel which was dynamited um, right at the uh, the end of the 1960s early 70s dynamited because he built it right in the uh, flight path of the aircraft and um, the air, the, air uh, the pilots were complaining so much that they were if they lost power on takeoff they'd crash into his hotel that he got um, a friend of his who was in the Spanish Air Force to land his bomber here of course the airport then was still sort of just going from military to commercial airport and uh, he got his friend to fly the bomber over and it, the story goes that he's, uh, he came out from the bomber once he'd landed and done a few circuits, touch and goes, and said, um, see, no problem at all, is there? And apparently the pilot said, if I'd been carrying bombs on board, I would have bombed your hotel. It's dangerous. It needs to go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, we're literally coming past Ushuaia now. Which Is that is that where the hotel was? Just there. Oh, it's right, right behind it. Okay. Yeah, right in the flight path. It's um, it's literally completely and utterly dead as a doornail. I'm not seeing a single person. Normally, we're seeing people falling out of Ushuaia. We're seeing people falling out of um, high at this hour of the day. At this time of the season, the beach is littered with sort of uh, dawn of the dead style scenes. But not today. It is literally utterly, utterly empty. Not even the beach clubs of. Uh, the Hard Rock or Beach House. We're going past Beach House now. And then the one after that, I think it's Cocoa Beach right at the very end. That's actually closed. It's just crazy to see. Everything is just closing. It's closing. I mean, a lot of the hotels are closing now already, aren't they, Simon? Yeah, yeah. It seems that they are, yes. Uh, Those that did actually open. Um, I know there were some great bargains to be had for the ones that did open. There was some quite cheap cheap accommodation to be had but yeah they're all closing up now why is that they just just they're not making any money that's right and uh, of course unfortunately what's happening now is uh, well we're out of august and the spanish holidays over Uh, but um, of course when they started doing the um, 
the uh, quarantine for the British going back to the country, that's when it really died for us here. We had some British people coming over and when they announced the, um, the quarantine, 14 day quarantine, when they went back, they just weren't really replaced. serious uh, wake-up call just uh, back there flying around from uh, the old town down Playa in Bossa Beach and here we are arriving at the very end of Playa in Bossa by one of my favourite uh, ATI spots around the island walk spots when we first came here. We're at the Pirate Tower. Tell us a little bit about the Pirate Tower, Simon. Yeah, this is the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Pirate Tower of Sal Rosa or the, uh, the Red Salt and it guards... Um, the, uh, the one of the intakes for and of course the coastline too but it guards one of the intakes for the salt flats themselves the channel is just over there on our right hand side where the uh, water is taken in to fill the salt flats as uh, as they process uh, the salt i had no idea that that is how it's done i see and i've actually walked over that bridge and everything so they, do they sort of suck it in or does it just organically flow yeah it's all gravity fed no pumps 2000 odd years ago or a little bit more perhaps when they started uh, harvesting the salt here and so it's all below sea level so the water flows naturally they open the sluice gates and in it comes why is Ibiza sort of like a place where you know they farm so much salt I mean obviously I've seen Formentera have a similar thing going on we have that beautiful pink salt over in one of my favorite favorite beaches but it feels like um you know it's a real commodity here it's a real economic um you know plus isn't it there, there seems to be a real farming thing going on here Yes, that's right. Unfortunately, though, farming has... Uh, well, it's really been a story of boom and bust over the centuries um, because at one time, when this island was uh, sort of settled by the Phoenicians, um, they realised what a, what a safe place it was to go from North Africa to Iberia uh, without doing the perilous crossing across the Straits of Gibraltar. And they found that coming across to Ibiza, stopping off, and then a bit of R&R, a bit of relaxation, and then carrying on, uh, off to the Spanish mainland was uh, a great way to go. And then, of course, the island had plenty of water. Back in those days, it had lots and lots of water. Great farming land as well. And so um, farming started here in earnest. And uh, over the centuries, that's what's happened. Of course, the Romans were here. And, of course, when the Moors came here, they really took advantage of the fact there's a lot of water here. And um, the channels can be seen to this day. A lot of them are still being, still being used, where they channel water around and uh, feed them off to the, to the fields. They, when the Catalans uh, took over the island, they, it was recognised that around about 1234 is when, when that happened, and they pushed the Moors out, or some of the Moors, of course, they just converted to Christianity, but when they pushed the Moors out, the, the Catalans carried on, but Ibiza went into a sort of decline then after that. Uh, it went from um, quite a lot of people here. They said that the, at the, um, the lowest point that there were only 6,000 people on Ibiza of the Catalans. And, um, of course, we, we, we go along a few more hundred years and we get to the point where the Civil War started and uh, things were very, very tough on the island. And the islands were mostly left alone, but there was a lot of hardship. Then, of course, when tourism started, that's when uh, a little interest was lost in farming, let's say. I mean, I've, I've heard numbers such as 90% of the fruit and veg is imported, which is a real big tragedy because we could probably be self-sufficient. I don't find the land, or from what I've heard, though, is particularly that arable in Ibiza. I've heard that it's, like, quite dry. It's quite... It's not that nutritious, the soil here, not organically. 
Well, there is the uh, the terra rosa, the red soil. This is the stuff that you'll see everywhere, that beautiful deep red, which is very, very good for growing um, vegetables. Um, there's some nice areas, of course, when you think about uh, Kalalyonga, which we'll be going and seeing later on. Kalalyonga, um, behind the beach itself, was great farming land. Because, of course, all the callas that we have, these sandy callas, are all created by water flowing from the hills into the sea. And some are bigger than others, of course. But um, that's how they were formed in the first place. And you'll find that a place like San Antonio, great farming land around San Antonio, and a lot of subterranean water flowing into, into the sea, which would have caused the, the Bay of San Antonio to be, uh, to be um, uh, created in the first place. Of course, we have San Mateo, the plain of San Mateo, and the plain of Santa Agnes as well, uh, both having their crown of mountains, or hills, I should say, uh, going around them, which captures the water, and the water flows down and keeps that area nice and uh, nice and wet. Now, a little word in your slightly soggy shell, and a brief interlude in today's Reset Rebel podcast. I really hope that you're enjoying today's show with our guest, Mr. Simon Reid. But I did just want to mention that when I'm not being slammed around on Simon's speedboat making this wonderful series, I do also teach people to make their own podcasts. As a reporter in London for BBC Radio for more than 15 years and broadcaster, I do love inspiring people to make their own creative podcasts that are not always studio-based. This is the reason that I created a two-day Create Your Own Podcast Series training course, which I actually do face-to-face in Ibiza at a beautiful co-working space called The Hub. Um, It's near Santa Gertrudis. The course runs once a month, and all those dates for it are on my website, www.resetrebelproductions.com. The next dates are the 13th and 14th of October, Or I can also do this course for you if you're not Ibiza-based on Zoom, as I have been doing with my clients all over the world, particularly since lockdown began. So if you really feel like you want to start your own podcast series, but you're absolutely uncertain, unsure, literally feel like you have no idea where to start then I'm really, really, really loving um, getting people off the starting blocks. It feels like my mission for the next 12 months is to help as many people as possible find their voice through podcasting. And I do feel like I'm well on my way with next month's workshops, our sixth training on the island, uh, and marking 20 new series launches since I started teaching at the beginning of last year. And I have to say, apart from making this show... It's the one thing that really lights me up most lately. So if you want to know more, pop to my podcast website, ResetRebelProductions.com or drop me an email. That's joe at ResetRebelProductions.com. Now back to the watery Balearic highways of Ibiza with today's guest, the fabulous podcast pirate, Mr. Simon Reid. I think this was one of my favourite little stop-offs, this pirate tower here. We went in here and we did a little bit of singing as a group and then we did some yoga up on the roof, which was one of my finest moments of teaching uh, sort of nine sweaty walkers. Um, but, you know, has that pirate tower actually seen any action, do you know? Well, I mean, I mean the, the, the system of pirate towers around the island were, were put to great use. They had to be built to keep the, uh, to keep the moors away. Once the moors were, were pushed off the island, they kept coming back and marauding taking what they could, including salt of course, uh, but also slaves too. They would take people 
They would um, take, particularly young girls, they would take, um, take away. Yeah, yeah. You're kidding the, me. The story goes is the, the Ibithenkan dress, the big voluminous petticoat after petticoat and the big hats that, that they wear and were not very good for... <laughs> we might just have to wait until the plane goes <laughs> yeah, over. <laughs> but an easy jet taking off. Sorry, so you were saying yeah, about so, the petticoats. Yeah, the petticoats. So, you know, it's it said that the origin of that, um, of that dress was to disguise the young girls. So everybody looked elderly. All the girls looked elderly. So to put off the, uh, the moors from coming ashore and, um, and taking them. So, yeah, that's the story anyway. Bloody hell, that's awful. That's really quite tragic. So the pirate towers themselves were uh, observation points so that uh, they're always manned, uh, always had a good um, vantage point so that if you saw any any ships going up and down, they could light a fire. If they didn't recognise the ships as being from from the island, they'd light a fire on top. And then through the the system of the pirate towers (coughs) uh, and the um, uh, various little lookout points on top of the hills other fires would be lit they said that the, uh, the, the, the smoke and the flames flames if it was bad visibility but smoke in the day uh, would uh, promote the next pirate tower to, uh, to light theirs and then the, the various different um, lookout points on the hills and they said that every point could be um, alerted within one hour on the whole island and then of course they could direct the uh, the garrison of um, soldiers to go and fight but that took hours to get people there and mobilise you know you had to go by horseback from Ibiza town let's say all the way up to Portinax where there's another pirate tower let's say um, then it would take hours and hours so this is what the Moors were, were depending on was they knew they had a bit of time and then they had to go because they'd be overwhelmed so uh, that brings us on to the refuge towers, which you'll see in Balafia and other places on the island, where the townsfolk would go and hide and get inside and barricade themselves in. Also the churches, very heavily fortified, small windows, because they were also places of refuge to just get the townsfolk, the village folk in there to be safe for a while until the, um, the, the moors could be beaten back. And there was me thinking that... Uh wonderful pirate tower over Esvedra that was uh, just part of the Hyerbas advert back in the day. It was a big part of their marketing and PR and they actually really seriously were used to protect the, the boundaries and borders of Ibiza. Yes, absolutely. And uh, it, it worked okay but um, the best place was, the best thing to do was to stop them from coming ashore at all. And uh, that's when the Ibithenkans decided to um, employ mercenaries to um, to keep the pirates away. What's a mercenary? Well, these um, these these mercenaries are the people that get paid. They're soldiers of fortune. Um, the Neanderthals. Cor- the corsairs, los corsarios, they were called, and they used to go up in their own boats up and down the uh, the coastline. And if any boats started coming towards Ibiza, they would keep the battle out at sea, so they never made landfall. And that way. The, uh, the people of the island could rest a little bit, uh, a little bit more assuredly that they weren't going to get uh, attacked um, because the, um, the Corsairs were there to save them. In fact, they say that um, the, the monument to the Corsairs in Ibiza town is that, of course, the Corsairs were sort of pirates themselves. They were mm, pretty tough hombres in their own right. They say, it's, you know, strictly speaking, it's the only monument to pirates, <laughs> let's say, in the world. 
Whether or not that's true, I don't We've know. We've got the only monument to pirates. <laughs> it's a bit like sort of what Matutus does with, the, with all the other businesses. He's got his sort of gatekeepers. Yes, yes, indeed, indeed. And when I think when I think about it, though, when I say the only one to, you could say that maybe uh, Sir Francis Drake was a bit of a pirate as well, wasn't he? So there's a, we know that there's a we know, so so maybe maybe it's just one of a few um, monuments to pirates because. Uh, that that uh, statue of um, of Drake, because well, he was a soldier of fortune for the Queen, wasn't he at the time? Go and um, go and get all those uh, doubloons off the uh, off the Spanish ships as they were coming back from South America. I kind of want to go back in time, Simon. You make it just want to like roll back the old clock, like share, well. and sort of go back and experience some of that. Obviously, we have the medieval festival here in May, and we get a little tiny, tiny taste of what it's actually like. I've even donned a medieval dress and headwear and um, taken a whole yoga retreat full of women up through the old town, like, and, you know, really do get that vibe. But it, it sounds like, you know, it was pretty lawless back then. Well, it pretty was, pretty much was, and um, and even even when I think of my own lifetime here, um, it was a bit a bit like the Wild West in the seventies here too. There was <laughs> a lot of things that uh, went on that uh, sort of got um, overlooked, let's say, and uh, we were a great haven for British criminals at the time too, because there was no extradition between the UK and Spain in those days, and so we had a lot of criminals, uh, particularly in San Antonio, where where I live. Um, Are you a criminal, Simon? No. You're trying to tell us something? Not really. No, not, not <laughs> Are so Are you a far. bad man? Not in, not in this lifetime, but it, it was the names of the criminals that used to make us laugh so much. Because everyone had a nickname back then. What was and yours? Well, I was not a criminal, so I had a quite a friendly. <laughs> Go on, just just confess, I, I, Simon. Well, we well we had a we had a bar in San Antonio called the Fisherman, so um, I was called Simon Fitz, Simon the Fish. Because <laughs> you drank like one. No, not at all. Not Are me, you sure? Not me. <laughs> but um, we used to have these very colourful characters that don't seem to exist anymore. Um, but colourful characters are people like um, Bob the Rob. Well, you can imagine what he did. And, I've got no idea. Yeah, yeah, Ron the Con. You know, we had this guy, Ron the Con. Um, we Very had, truthful man. Yeah, and we had this one guy who's called Joe, Joe the Blow because he, <laughs> he, he killed a man with one punch. He was a debt collector. He did his time. He did his time. But when he came out of jail after he'd done his manslaughter thing, he came to Ibiza. And uh, once his story got round, um, his name was... Joe I, the blow. <laughs> I would have thought that maybe he was just importing a lot of blow, like you know. No, not at all. No, he actually very boringly um, had a, a, a bicycle rental company. Oh God, how very dull. <laughs> Joe the blow has gone down in my estimation. <laughs> he needs to up, up the ante. But they were very, very colourful characters. Um, of course, when extradition started here, then that was the end of that. But but when we had um, when we had that uh, was was it the Brinks mat robbery? One of the guys came over here and he was um, he bought himself a club in San Antonio and um, and ran it mostly for his friends. Really, it was a club that never really had any tourists in. It was just a, a place for him to hide out for a while. Where they went when Spain had extradition to the UK, I don't know. Probably South America. I don't know. Could have been. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Fascinating. I lo- I, yeah, I still want to go back and live in the 60s and 70s. I mean, I was born far too late in 77. I'd love to have been alive here in the 60s and 70s. The stories that you've been telling me over the time I've spent with you are just absolute gold. Well, that's what it was. It was very colourful. And one of the things I always say to people when, I'm, when people are talking to me about the celebrities and that and nowadays that come to the island, well, they, they, always, they always were here. You know, we, we always had lots of very, um, very famous people here. Of course, but back then there was no mobile phones. Weren't very many telephones, indeed. 
um, very little electricity in the houses when you were outside the, the uh, towns themselves. But um, um, of course, people will know that the Bee Gees lived here for a while, and Lulu, and um, we had Terry Thomas and Dan uh, Elliott. Lots of these people that uh, people may not know now, but um, Bee Gees, I'm sure everyone's heard. I've got of. a great video of you dancing to the Bee Gees. Uh, yes, I know it's quite embarrassing. <laughs> that is actually. I might post that on the Instagram stories. <laughs> so please come and follow at the Reset Rebel if you want to see Simon dancing to the no, Bee Gees. No, no. <laughs> Well, they lived. They lived very close to where to where my house is actually. In, did they teach you your moves? Not at all, no. But they did. <laughs> did used to go into San Antonio in the evening and sometimes just get up and go into one of the music bars and just get up and sing. Wow! That was a, that was a nice thing because, as I said, no phones in those days, no paparazzi, and they could just be themselves and mix amongst us. Which, of course, now it seems that the celebrities all have to be with their entourage and they lock themselves away in their big mega villas and, or expensive yachts or whatever just to keep away from everybody. That's because the world has become a paparazzi. I mean, imagine if we were just sitting here and Kate Moss sort of floated by in her yacht. Mm. You know, we'd be tempted to take a photo. And that's just why, you know, why is everybody fair game here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's what it's become now. And, uh, of course, many, many more rich and famous people come to the island now. Than, than did before. Uh, Beetha was a bit of a secret, and just just known by 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 some. But word was getting out, of course. Um, so many many people, and I'm sure wherever you're from the island, if you if you're living here on the island, you'd have known your own celebrities as well in that in that time. That oh, thing he just lives down the road, and oh, what's the name just lives up there. Um, as I said, say them. Um, Lulu still comes here. In fact, she's still got a house here, and um, and uh, yeah. I, Twiggy as well. That's one of my favourite celebs. Yes, yes, uh, yes. She's got a house here as well. I know exactly where it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never seen her though. <laughs> Never seen she's her. Yet. Literally, she turns sideways. You can't, you can't see her. She's, she's so tiny. That's how the name Twiggy was born, wasn't it? She was a, a very skinny, skinny, skinny supermodel. I think she sort of, basically, created that whole trend of women to become absolutely tiny. But I think you know what you were saying about this, uh, the, the crims and the kind of you know these Bob, Bob the Ron or Rob the Bob. Or whatever his name was, Bob the Builder. Um, you know, it's kind of like, do you think there's still that kind of fraternity going on? Do you think Abitha's still a bit dodgy? Is there that sort of lawless feeling still here? Because I kind of sense that there was, but, you know, obviously with this lockdown business, everybody really got a bit of a rap on the old knuckles and realised that there is quite a, a totalitarian, real Spanish system in place here that I think many people didn't expect living in Ibiza because you feel like it's the land of the free and it's kind of this place where you can get into a bit of mischief and no one did, you know no one really gives you too much of a hard time about it be a bit sneaky and get away with murder not literally but you know what I mean and all of a sudden things seem to have been like ooh actually hang on a sec probably one of the strictest places in the world in some respects yeah 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 that's right yeah I mean a lot goes on here of course behind the scenes um, go and elaborate Simon I love well, a naughty tell yeah, a lot of things a lot, lot of things wouldn't be good to, to, make, to be made public but when you say get away with murder yes I know of, of a few times when um, people had been bumped off bumped off yeah absolutely yeah yeah I'll uh, tell you the story later uh, not, not on the not podcast on Mike. <laughs> well I'm sorry about that guys because, I'll have to bring you another episode because... of the uh, untold tales of Simon Reed. <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a story I sometimes tell on my walks but uh, not for not for mass broadcast because um, it does involve me slightly not that I did anything wrong I, I, I'll emphasize right now but it's a story which um, which uh, sort of got round in the uh, in the 70s Consider it concerning a, a quite a well-known, well-known figure who um, mm, fell down some stairs. 
Yeah. But I, I just nothing would surprise me on this island. You know, I've heard mafia stories of people burning down clubs and, you know, putting people in concrete blocks and money buried in walls and, you know, drug wars. And of course, there's got to be a lot of death. N- none of that kind of stuff goes on anywhere in the world without a lot of death. A lot of death and a lot of um, extreme threat of violence. But did you watch that recent Netflix um, series called White Lines? And, it, you know, there was a few scenes where people were obviously taken out to see, like, obviously, you know, uh, big bags of cocaine left on, uh, you know, anchor lines and being left for the people, obviously, to go and then pick up. But there was, a, you know, a lot of violence and, and a lot of, like, you know, people being sort of escaping on their boats or taking people out to sea and, like, killing them, basically, like gang wars. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. A friend of mine had found a, a, a suitcase of, um, well, it was like a suitcase, sealed up suitcase of, uh, full of cocaine once, uh, which he handed in to the Oh, to the, uh, how boring. Well, I, it surprised me that he did because um, he wasn't, a, he was a bit of a bad lad himself, but he just didn't want to get involved in that, you know, and because... Uh, it's usually you're not, no one's just going to lose a suitcase of cocaine. It's like, you know, you think you're going to pick up this big old find and then all of a sudden you've got like 10 serious baddies on your back. I mean, that sounds like my idea of hell. Absolutely, yeah, 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 totally, totally, yeah, and uh, and that's it. I mean, the, the, you can't hide it. There's uh, a lot of drugs come to the island every year, without a doubt. So we're just tootling along Salinas on a Sunday morning, and um, it's actually I've decided I can't wait another second before the coffee comes out. So I've got actual coffee cups. Uh, cheers. Proper porcelain cups which I'm quite proud of actually managing to bring and not smash uh, and second of all I didn't Simon I didn't want you to feel like you know you weren't kind of on a real walking Ibiza kind of day so do you know what I brought you go on tell me tell me I brought you some boiled eggs and the, the pièce de la resistance are you ready oh pimienta tabasco very very nice indeed that'll wake us up <laughs> literally the whole time on the around the island what we were allowed to bring one luxury item and what was that luxury item? What was your, yours was Tabasco, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mine was um, a salt pot. Okay. Salt and pepper pot. Made it like a camping one, all made in one. And I tell you what, I was the most popular person when it came to <laughs> food time because everybody wanted the salt and pepper pot off me. Of course they did, and everybody wanted my Tabasco with their boiled egg in the morning. So you know, it's, you've got to like find these little uh, tricks and trades to basically swap. Um, all your little goodies in life so um, anyway cheers Simon indeed indeed there we go lovely oh my god amazing and it didn't actually cost anything (laughs) unlike sort of five euros a cup over there in the jockey club Oh, oh yes, yes indeed. Yes, they would charge you a lot for that. If they do look open, don't they? The the sunshade the sunshades are up. That, that's it there, isn't it? That, That'll that? be up. That's the yeah. one. Yeah, it'll be yeah. absolutely rammers in about an hour's time. It's only like nine thirty in the morning. Nobody gets up in Ibiza before about lunchtime. No, I was very surprised to uh, to see you there because a lot of people say to me uh, when I take them out on these trips very early in the morning, I say, yeah, 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 I'll be there, 8 o'clock. How, uh, well, you know, I, I did actually say 7.30 and then Joe is um, sort of saying <laughs> 8 o'clock would be uh, um, <clears throat> preferable. So, uh, <laughs> so 8 o'clock it was. Do you know what? I was up at 4.30 and I couldn't get back to sleep. So I've been like doing yoga, meditating, finishing off our picnic, making some food. Like writing in my diary, doing a bit of journaling. I had a really lovely morning. You were just too excited, weren't you? Couldn't sleep. Couldn't sleep. Well, you Day said you couldn't sleep either, so it's not just me that got excited about coming on this trip today. It's true, it's true. I was quite excited. I'm always excited when I'm going out in the boat. And how many years have you actually lived on Ibiza? 
Well, um, my family and I, we came over in 1972. And um, yeah, I, I spent a, quite a bit of time back in the UK uh, pursuing a career, but now I'm back here full time again, yeah. I think it's just amazing that you've been here for, you know, more than, well, how many, that's 50 years then, isn't it? Almost, it's 48 years. And you're still as excited to come and circumnavigate, as you called the island, uh, on a Sunday morning. And that really, that gives you a sleepless night. Now, I think that's a beautiful thing about you, Simon, that you, you can tell when you're talking about this place that it really lights you up. It's a beautiful thing. Well, it is a fabulous island. And, um, and I, uh, of course, in my, in my young days, my DJing days, um, I, um, I wasn't that interested in the island because... I was in my teens. Wait, did you, you know, back in the seventies, like the year of free love, were you not like pulling, pulling women left, right, and centre? Well, you know, people ask me that, and they and they say, oh yes, yes, but you know, I had more success when I was working in the in a bar in our bar than when I was DJing because when you're DJing, you're so busy, and um, not everybody wants to wait until half past five in the morning when you finish. Whereas if you work in a bar. And it finishes at two or three in the morning, and then you you're saying to whoever you're chatting up, um, "Hey, would you like a hey drink? babe, would you like to go to a club afterwards?" Now that's a very different thing altogether. And of course, um, uh, yeah. So yeah, more success <laughs> as a waiter, barman than as a DJ. Beso Beach, which um, there's one in Formentera as well, and I know that around about four or five o'clock, everyone starts dancing on tables. The well, the waiters ring the bell with the tips, and the music starts, and it all gets a little bit overexcitable in there. Um, but I've not actually had the pleasure yet. I, w- I would like to do that one of these days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that, the, that all that ritual was going on there. Yeah. Oh, this, everyone gets wild in there about two or three o'clock. Yeah. This bar right here. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely bonkers on the one in Formentera. So maybe that's um, the next podcast that we make. We go to Formentera. I've been to Formentera in this little boat. Definitely. Stop. Have. Yeah. A couple How long does it three take? Times. Not long. If you launch. Uh, about five minutes. <laughs> Sacaleta, you're the from Sacaleta, you're there in twenty minutes. I was going to say, I don't know why we're drinking this coffee when we could have had a Sacaleta coffee, because really, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the dawn of the, of the coffee steaks, really. I mean, it's like mixed with... I don't know what it's mixed with. Well, there is... Um, uh, let me see. You've got uh, a bit of alcohol in there, of course. Well, that's exactly what I'm on about. A lot of sugar. <laughs> You've got some of those cinnamon sticks in there, most definitely. Something orangey. Uh, orange peel. Definitely orange peel goes in there. And, you, of course, you have to light it. And it just flambes away, cooking all the beans because you've put a few beans in the top, and the oils are released from the oranges. And seriously, oh. stop it! You're just literally teasing me now. Oh yes, we should have brought some of that. I should have, I should have, uh, yeah, should have made some up. Well, I, well, I have got a, a little few treats in the old uh, picnic podcast hamper, but uh, that's for later. So you'll have to wait until after you finish your boiled egg, like a good boy. Okay, that'll be fine then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look where we are. We've got a swimmer ahead. My oh goodness, my god! Let's get definitely away from not kill swimmer. that man. Plenty of room. Looks now, a se- serious like swimmer. He does look very serious. He's got his hat and his goggles, and he's giving it, yeah, quite a bit of welly. What's um, what's this? So at the end of Salinas, there's like a is that like an art gallery there, and then or is it a museum at the end of Salinas? And you walk up as if you're going to go on the five mf walk. Is that that there was a, an exhibition? I think that's a gallery. No. It, yes, it, yes, it is now. But it used to be a place where they used to keep the salt. Of course, it was a big uh, almathen warehouse. 
Now um, it's not used so much because uh, they can move the, the salt far quicker now than they used to be able to in the old days on the little train that used to be here. You can actually see the old tracks that, uh, that are still half buried in the, uh, in the earth if you know where to look. Um, but now it's all brought by lorry, of course, and we can see over on our right-hand side the mountains of salt because we're getting to that time of the year where it's salt time. It's the big harvest is going on now. It goes through all the. It goes as soon as, as soon as the, um, the the water starts evaporating, really. But this is when we really start harvesting the salt. The boats come in. This is the salt dock here with the conveyor belt which takes the salt and those machines over there are, are the um, conveyors which dump it into the, the holds of the boat they come here and the salt goes off to all sorts of places um, this beautiful gourmet salt that we have on Ibiza um, is respected all throughout the world through the best chefs we have uh, dotted around the world they love the Ibiza salt but a lot of it goes to um, Scotland and Scandinavia to be put on the roads to melt the ice <laughs> Are you actually serious? Absolutely, yeah, because we don't salt as much um, food anymore, such as salted, um, uh, it, to preserve it, that is, mm -hmm. the hams and the cod and things like that. You still get it, obviously, and, of course, Spain is, uh, is very famous for its, uh, for its um, cured hams. But it's not like it used to be, because we have refrigeration now, mm -hmm. and so it's not as important in the food industry. And, of course, everyone's worried about salt these days and keeping your hypertension down and so it's gone a little bit out of fashion in the in uh, in the, the, the preserving of the foods and it's not needed so much however um there is nothing like some beautiful salted cod esquishada which is this uh, fabulous salted cod which you can either reconstitute with water or you can flake because it's incredibly dry and salty and flake and mix with a with a salad one of these beautiful Ibithenkan salads and just spread it amongst the salad and oh these crystals of salt that are in there and ah oh, absolutely wonderful but no the majority of it goes to the the roads we have the capacity on the island to produce a hundred thousand tons of salt a year but nowadays it's about sixty thousand tons mm -hmm. yeah and, Mior and uh, sorry, Mallorca, um, Formentera, which also had its own salt flats, they've shut that down completely now because there was just no need, no real need for it. And they've turned one of the big salt lakes into, um, into a nature reserve and the other salt lake they've turned into a, um, a harbour, really, for, for, for small... Like a nudist park? No, no, just a, a harbour. <laughs> nudist. No, we... no, a nature reserve. Uh, no, no <laughs> not a naturalist. Not a, not a naturist reserve. <laughs> <laughs> Incidentally, we've just gone past Ibiza's first one. What the hell did you one. not stop there for? Well, I'm not because Ibiza, its first ever nudist beach was Salinas. I don't know whether you knew that. I did not know that. No, but before we had topless was allowed everywhere else, before topless was, uh, bathing was allowed everywhere else, total nudity was allowed on Las Salinas. And this was during Franco's day even, which was most peculiar. That um, is absolutely crazy because nakedness is is more of a thing here than I've ever. I mean, I've never been naked on a beach until I moved to Ibiza, and now it does kind of feel quite normal. I am convinced that there was more nudity back in the seventies and eighties than there is now. Mm. Now, what seems to happen is the, uh, especially amongst the, the the British, is that they come out um, in the evenings almost naked where we never had that before. They, people would be dressed in... I mean, I've got photographs of our bar 
uh, in the 70s and people are ladies are, are dressed in evening dress for goodness sake and dressed in the guys are dressed in chinos and a shirt and not ties but you know shirts and and they're looking all very, very smart but of course now it's all it's all sort of um, they get their their cues from um Love Island, I suppose, and they just dress up like them, and maybe some of them shouldn't. Hundred and ten percent. You definitely live closer to San Antonio than I do, though, so I don't really see much of that where I live. But um, I love, you know, I love the colourfulness of this island and the vast array and different walks of life and the mixtures of cultures and you know the different little nooks and crannies of this island that attract different kinds of people. So I, I kind of like that, but I do like the fact that people do come here and they feel comfortable enough to just whip off their um whip off their clothes and um and just yeah go au naturel and there's nothing more gorgeous than swimming naked in the sea that's true that's true yep um uh, yeah either observing it or participating or a bit of both <laughs> so we're just uh, pulling in to i can't even pronounce it simon where are we we are at cala lientrisca Lientrisca is the uh, is the, the the bush which we know in English as mastic um, or, or um, uh, masteca, mastiki. All over the Mediterranean, it's uh, known as uh, uh, different uh, different uh, variations on mastic, from masticare to chew, because the gum from it, uh, the uh, Roman children in Roman times used to chew it very antibacterial and uh, even now they use the extract from it in some eco-friendly toothpaste because of the antibacterial action that it uh, that it has been used in making alcohol it's been used to um to uh putting cakes as well um but here on the island it grows everywhere and um it has those red berries on you, you. You see it this time of the year because all the red berries are coming out. I'm sure uh, people who uh, walked with us and uh, walk around in nature have seen have seen that bush. Uh, you can even train it into into a tree as well. It's quite a lovely thing. Anyway, this is called in Ibithenka, and it's called Lientrisca. And because there's so much of it here, uh, I can see bushes of it right now. Um, this is Cala Lientrisca. Nice. I think that guy's just getting his sort of Tai Chi. Uh work out he's just about to begin on top of that fishing shack and you see he's just started some sort of very strange ritual i think it looks like a bg's move actually he's doing a very slow motion a very (laughs) slow slow motion uh hip to uh pointing in the air um action there Uh, one of the very interesting things about this um on around the island uh you would have you'd have walked through here of course and up the back of the the beach here but you can see it's all terraced so this was all farmland here and very handy it was as well that the, when it rained, the water came down, scooped by these two hills. And so it would have been sort of self, um, self-irrigating in a way. But that has also been its demise because no one's really looking after the path anymore. And when we have the really heavy storms, it just washes it away. So it's really quite a severe climb actually now. It's um, very, very deeply rutted. It's actually part of a, um, a mountain bike uh, path as well, a black mountain bike route. Though, God knows, I wouldn't want to either go up or down um, on a mountain bike up that path. And we're very close to the third night um, campground, which is overlooking Esvedra. And we're going to have a, a look at Atlantis. We're going to go off to Esvedra and do a circumnavigation of the island too. I do remember clambering up that hill, actually. It was an absolute nightmare. And I remember in the podcast that I recorded, I was only listening back um, to one of the episodes the other day. Toby was just 
um, basically taking the mickey out of me for basically swearing quite a lot going up that hill because I was uh, I was really suffering actually I had some very bad blisters and uh, I think I complained rather a lot and maybe dropped a few cheeky little f-bombs and uh, was very happy to get to the top of that hill because of course you get your first glimpse of a very magical magical rock formation on the island which are just about to whiz around the corner and take our listeners to okay well let's uh, we're just being swept onto the shore so let's start up the engine and we'll uh poodle poodle on out of this beautiful little fisherman's cove it really is like the water i don't know i haven't been actually this is my first boat trip of the entire year simon so i, I can't begin to tell you how grateful i am to be here with you on this little sunday excursion it's um yeah it is just majestic and just so so peaceful yeah, it's, look at it, it's still flat calm, so as uh, long as it stays like this, we are in for doing the, uh, the whole island today. So we're just coming into Atlantis, the little bay just around the corner, when you get to the very bottom and there's that little piece on the right where you can kind of look through the keyhole and generally people kind of uh, jump through and um, strip off their clothes, get naked and jump in the water. That's um, exactly where we are in this precise moment in time and very it's just it's so amazing to see it from a completely different angle obviously I've seen it many many times as I've hiked down the hill sprinted jumped and rolled down the sandy sandy banks to get here and um yeah this just feels absolutely another level to be honest with you to come down here on a Sunday morning and be able to kind of fly in the way that we have this morning Simon, first of all, thank you so much for bringing me here. I don't think I've actually said that yet, but <laughs> right in this moment, my jaw is kind of on the floor. I mean, the rocks that we are surrounded by are spectacular when we're on foot and we come down um, in the usual way. But to be here this morning, here on the boat, and just see it from a whole different perspective, is just, it's just quite incredible. It is, it is, and uh, yes, yes, you do keep on saying quite frequently, oh, thank you so much for bringing me on this. <laughs> okay, I'm just making sure that I've thanked well, you enough. Well, it, well, it is, it is quite a thing, and, 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 uh, and I, feel, I feel very privileged every time I do it, because not only do I enjoy it massively myself, going around our beautiful home here in one day, but also whenever I take somebody with me, um, it's the delight that I see on people's faces. And I think that's what, the guide in me coming out, of course. And, uh, and I just love, love doing it. And, and people who, who know the island, and as you say, you see it from another angle and you think, oh my God, this is, I know exactly where I am. And it's so different from this, from this viewpoint. Tell us the story of Atlantis, though. I mean, it's kind of one of those places that only normally, I guess, like intrepid explorers um, actually sort of make it down that hill. Because it's not the easiest or most obvious place like, to find, but it is one of those walks. If you want to feel a little bit adventurous and go and see something truly and utterly eye-popping, I think it was one of uh, Toby Clark's favourite phrases on the last podcast we made on the Round the Island walk. But it, it is eye-popping, isn't it? You literally get to the bottom and your jaw just drops. Yeah, oh yes, absolutely. And of course you can see, you can see why people have called it Atlantis. Because of the, um, the, the strata of the, um, of the sandstone, it is at an angle of a, probably about um, 45 degrees or something. Um, so as they've quarried the rocks over the years, obviously they don't quarry it now, they've had to follow the actual layers of, uh, of how the, the, the sand was put down and turned into, into rock because you have to cut it along. And so because of that, they've cut it 
at that angle to get the nice regular blocks without fault lines going through them. And it looks like buildings are sliding into the sea after some terrible cataclysm. And that's why you know, people think, hey, this is Atlantis. And of course, you've got Vedra right by, and we all know the, the, mystical, um, the mystical powers of Vedra. And everyone thinks, oh my goodness me, and there's Atlantis right by it. And it's all, the whole area is, is, uh, is a fabulous place to be. But as you say, yeah, yeah, hard to get, uh, hard to get up and down, or down and up. Um, if you don't know the proper ways to go, because uh, one way is all sand uh, halfway up and it's exhausting. It's two, two steps forward and one step back as you climb. I came the, uh... here, I did come here two weeks ago and obviously I've been here uh, many, many, many times over the years. And I made it down via the mural on the wall and did, did the sandy run. But then I tried to go back up that way and it was like absolutely no hope. So, of course, there's only really one way and that is, of course. Well, you have to go to the right far over to the right and up that way because it's rocky it's still a hard climb but it's um exhausting climb on a hot day but it's um you don't slide back so much in fact you don't really slide back at all Mm. you you have to know that one but it was it was it was it was brutal actually it was august and we did come quite early in the morning but we stayed longer than we planned at the bottom and then it was just i was absolutely cooking on the way up i was absolutely dying i thought i was pretty fit actually at that moment in time and i i actually struggled and i think you know that's that's the story of many people that come down here actually they just you know coming down is a walk in the park but trying to get back up that hill is is not it's not for the faint-hearted no no it's not it's a it's a it's a good chunk of rock to uh, to climb down and climb back up and where we are now looking directly Sorry. above us a few hundred meters up a couple of hundred meters up is uh, of course the um the actual pirate tower that's wow. our third pirate tower of the day isn't it now we're on the pirate tour of the pirate podcast yep this is the uh, the, the pirate tower of uh, of savinar and uh, if you've ever actually been up there sometimes it's lucky enough that the gates are open and you can get inside it and get onto the top uh, but that's rare that, that uh, that's left open it's usually when somebody's snapped the lock off and you get up there and the views from up there are spectacular you've got Vedra on one side you've got Formentera that you can see on the other side it's just purely a beautiful magical place to be I got up there one morning with a bunch of friends and we had breakfast up there. It really was just lovely. And the, the little swallows or the swifts, whatever they were, were swooping around in the air, catching little creatures, little, you know, flies and bugs and whatever. It was, it was a, just a tremendous time. And then all the hordes came <laughs> and we left. You can't really get away from that usually, but it, it does seem pretty quiet for a Sunday morning down here. There's only a few boats and um, maybe a handful of people are actually at Atlantis at the moment and um, you said that it was actually a death here the other week yeah it was uh, reported in the uh, in the diario that somebody fell to their death a 30 year old um, fell to their death and last year um, I think it was, yeah definitely two people died here uh, just falling off the rocks they're very steep as you can see and the, the local climbing clubs actually go up this limestone um, massif that we can see here and it's sheer it's absolutely as you see it's um perfectly straight straight up and people just go and explore and lose their balance and, and fall to their fall to their deaths which has um, prompted the government to think about completely closing off this site so that people won't be able to get here in the future which is a real shame yeah mm-hmm. But this is obviously where the rock was quarried and taken to build Dalt Villa, which is obviously a world UNESCO heritage site. So I don't think a lot of people really know that, you know, that is like a man-made creation. And it obviously came, the materials to make that from right here. Well, that's right. I mean, uh, um, we've, we've gone past some 
uh, sandstone quarries already. And uh, this is the big one. This is the big sandstone quarry, which uh, they say that the, the, the stone went to Dalt Villa from here and probably all other places around and maybe even exported it as well. It's good quality uh, sandstone. And as we go further up the coast to Port des Torrents, I will show you another quarry, another um, sand, uh, sandstone quarry. Well, mm, a little bit tougher than sandstone, actually, but we'll, we'll go and see it and have a little look in. It's quite obviously a quarry by the way that everything is very angular and obviously carved out of, uh, of, the, of the rock that's there. But yeah, Ibiza's got um, lots of quarries. It's kind of fascinating, though. Like, How in God's name did they get that? from there to Delta Villa did they sail it over or how did they get it there I've heard that it was carried up that ridiculous hill there and uh and got to be a myth. I can't I just can't see it uh because all you need is a boat load up the boat and take it round and then moor up in in uh Ibiza harbor and unload there I, I just cannot see them carrying the rocks up there when they had boats we know they had boats the Phoenicians had boats Romans had boats and uh and the Moors had boats so yeah yeah, I don't. Uh, I can't. I can't, I'm not buying the uh, the cl- carrying it up there. God, it's bad enough. You can't just it's get bad, yourself up the hill, well, let alone anything else. It's bad enough if you've got an extra liter of water that you haven't <laughs> drunk when you're on the return trip without a 50, 50 to hundred kilo block of sandstone with you. It sounds like an absolute fable that anybody carried anything up that hill. Like it's got to be a boat thing, and but that would have been a big old, big old boat. Yeah, I'd imagine so. But of course, those Phoenician galleys—they were big. And the Roman, the Roman uh, boats were, were, were big too. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and of course, they, they carried produce all around the Mediterranean too. So um, they were cargo ships. And how old is Delta Villa? Well, they say that uh, two and a half thousand years was when the first, well, first um, sort of settlement, I think it was, uh, when they moved from Sacaleta. And then, of course, 2,000 years ago, the Romans were here, more or less. And then, it, because it's, it's changed hands a lot, of course. And then, and then of course every uh, conquering people uh, have altered it slightly uh, when they when the moors came here of course they altered it as well um and then of course nowadays when when the catalans retook the island they altered it again so it's and even nowadays this is what i love about about spain in general is that they won't leave a, a monument um to just fall apart they will use the local stone and renovate and restore and, and even make it better than it was before. In the early days of Dalt Villa, I can remember in, in the 70s, there was open sewage. The place stank to high heaven. Nobody wanted to go in there <laughs> because it was so, so bad. You know, it really was a, an awful place. And then in the mid-70s, they put the, uh, the, the sewerage in and everything got a lot, lot better. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, that's just, like, unfathomable. You know, there's definitely a distinct wrong kind of pong going on here in the summertime isn't there you know you, you have to say there's two spots on the island i was speaking to sandra ben beniste from the abita preservation and she said you know obviously things get a bit overloaded in the summer which has not been so much of a theme this year but in abita town just as you're leaving on that last roundabout before you exit there is a, a sewage farm there and usually that is overflowing by the end of sort of august time and it absolutely humdings around there well i can also remember at calatarida back in the 70s and 80s when the club there got bigger and bigger and more and more beds were put in and chalets and they pumped untreated sewage straight into the bay there which made the bay very hot because of all the bacterial action and um, algal action that was going on there and you would see 
everything that goes down a toilet was floating in that in that bay one of the most beautiful beaches of course on the island uh, well at least it was back then nowadays it's now it's very developed but in those days it was sand dunes if you can imagine that beautiful Calatorido, just all sand dunes at one point and before they put in that sand dune preservation uh, uh, activity that they're doing now in Formentera and Salinas where you can't go into the dunes because it's all regenerating they um, carted it all away and put restaurants and apartments and unfortunately ruined the place but the what, place, more than when it was covered in poop well it was that, that was at the same time yeah yeah but it was it was the sea it still looked nice it's just that the sea was dis- an absolute disgrace i mean but not only not only that but if people who know san antonio where the harbor wall is just outside the harbor wall there was a pumping station which pumped all of San Antonio's um, poo and stuff into the sea. And that was grey. The water was grey all the time. Um, San Antonio Harbour itself was grey too. You couldn't see through the water at all. I was once asked to fix some moorings because I had a diving uh, set up. And, uh, and I was f- fixing some chains and moorings down one day. And I, and I came out and I had the most appalling ear infection which lasted for six months went definitely uh, six, 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 six weeks I should say uh, six weeks and um, couldn't hear out of one ear for, for many weeks just from being in the water it was so polluted now of course they still pump it in the sea but they've got a pipeline which takes it way out into um, into the area between Conajera the Sunset Island and um, and the Ibiza itself Right, let's get off the topic of, uh, of poo and let's yeah. go. Let's go and see some beauty. Let's go to Espedra and um, yeah, let's get out of this wonderful. Oh my god, I can see the fish. Oh, see fish down there. I can see some fishies. We haven't got any sandwiches left there. We just ate them all. So that draws us neatly to a close of what is actually going to be a two-part special of the Reset Rebel podcast with me and our guest, the pirate, the captain of our Round the Island podcast episode, um, which is, of course, Mr. Simon Reed of Walking Ibiza. The plan wasn't to make it a two-part special, but I think it's just there's so much goodness that we witnessed on that boat trip um, that took, well, it was supposed to be... (laughs) It was supposed to be about eight or nine hours and it turned into something like 12. Um, We had some serious challenges along the way. The weather took a serious turn for the worse, as you can imagine, on a speedboat. That turned into quite uh, an adventure of sorts. So I don't really want to try and cram it all into a one-part episode. So if you enjoyed part one um, of today's show, I'm really, really, really grateful that you um, came back to listen to um, this series. But we're going to just go straight in to the magic and the mystery and the wonder of Esfedra at the beginning of the second part um, of this episode. Um, Because I've actually, in eight years of living in Ibiza, never never had um, the pleasure to get up close and personal with Esfedra and actually on this round the island trip um, as we circumnavigated in Simon's speedboat I actually got to lay my hands on the magical rock Uh, and shortly after that Simon shared with me that there was actually um, a Vedra a mini Vedra underwater not so far from there which is also like a major major dive site which he also took me to Uh, And then from there, we sort of made our way around to uh, a mystery gorge that I didn't even know existed. Uh, We went through some caves. Um, 
there was just so many beautiful places that he took me to and it really turned into um, quite the spectacle um, and uh, yes <laughs> some very hilarious uh unexpected challenges also unfolded along the way so if you want to dive into uh, the second part of this episode um, we are going to be unveiling that one on monday next week don't go away and thank you so 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 much for listening here to the reset rebel podcast with me joe you we'll see you next week reset rebel It's the Reset Rebel